if we've got like two people who want the same item and they're everybody's relatively evil equal <laughs> or both <laughs> or both we'll just roll off you know and, and see who gets it um, but this is totally a social contract thing right Live from the Mundangerous Treasure Room in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 205 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're padding the players' coffers because we're talking about awarding treasure. But first the rogue traders negotiate, but not at gunpoint for once, in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the treasure hunter unearths forgotten antiquities in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. Warlock is a Patreon-supported project from Cobalt Press, publisher of the Midgard campaign setting for 5th edition. You know, I feel like when you have just one name, it means you mean business. Mm-hmm. Like Cher, you know she's going to get up there and she's going to sing the hell out of a song. Also, if you go by your class as your name, like you're really leaning into the fact that this is who I am, right? Oh, yeah, like old school fighting man. Yeah, I'm, I'm fighter. Right, or an elf, right? Yeah. <laughs> what are you, an elf? <laughs> what more do you need to know? So, with your support on Patreon, Cobalt Press Cobalts can make new 5e Midgard material on a regular, ongoing basis. Yeah, in return for becoming a patron, get it, warlock, patron, eh, eh? You'll get first access to new maps, new monsters, new 5th edition character options, and adventures in awesome dungeons, and much, much more. So... Support Cobalt Press and help expand the world of 5th edition dark fantasy at patreon.com slash Press. So speaking of new 5th edition material, Shane, there is a bounty of it recently. Yeah, uh, for how little material has come out in the first, say, three and a half years of D&D 5th edition, uh, all of a sudden in this, this last quarter, we've just gotten a bunch. Yeah, books are dropping like rain, I guess. Uh, right. There's Ghosts of Saltmarsh, which is an adventure, but uh, there are also some interesting like seafaring rules in there uh, and rules for ships. Yep. Um, so we have a copy of that as, long, as well as the special Sinister Silver Edition available from Beetle and Grimm's. Uh, quick shout out to Jason, their social media manager who listens to the show and was kind enough to get us on their distribution list, which is just absurd because we can't afford their products otherwise. Yeah. Ask him about his sick tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> So we have that in hand. Uh, we've got both books. We are planning to do not not a full review because, you know, we don't really review adventures, but um, we'll, we'll cover what's in that book, um, as well as we've got an unboxing of the Sinister Silver Edition planned. Um, we'll give you our thoughts. That's all upcoming. Uh, Acquisitions Inc. also has its own book out right now. Um, this is absurd. This is this is actual play becoming actual product, right? Yeah, it, it's like... And a birth directly from you know crazy people's minds. I mean, Acquisitions Inc. started way back in what fourth edition? Uh, probably, yeah. I yeah, mean, this uh, was Chris Perkins and the um, all the guys from Penny Arcade, right? Now it's got Patrick Rothfuss and a whole bunch of other somewhat nerd famous people, right? So it's a book now that um, is a relatively short adventure for early characters who are basically playing as part of Acquisitions Inc. Um, which basically means there's a lot of information on like playing a game that is both funny and kind of a parody of The Office, but in D&D. 
Yeah, it's putting the uh, the company in adventuring company. Uh, and then also there's a, a lot of information about downtime, so we'll dig into that. Uh, and then last new product coming out in the D&D front is D&D Essentials, which is uh, a box set that you've got, right? Yeah, uh, it comes with uh, pretty much everything that you need to start a game. It's got a DM screen, it's even got some dice, it's got uh, slightly rewritten rules that apparently make it easier for players to actually uh, get into the game and make their own characters, and, and it's got uh, a short adventure. So we're going to open that up and take a look at it. Uh, all of this, more information on what we're going to do with that later in the episode. But speaking of bad, I don't know, new information and getting everything that you need in order to succeed, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty and Warranty campaign? So the Dynasty and Warranty campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game, played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Deathworld Iblis Prime, in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra, and Prophet. And after the Five Points Massacre, uh, and all of your political scheming, has solidified your foothold in the Northern Manufactories District... Are we really going with Massacre? The Five Points Massacre? Everything uh, you do is a massacre. Yeah, which is why I was thinking of rebranding it this time. You know, uh, well, the the Five Points eventual parlay. Funny, funny that you should say you're planning to rebrand it, because it's sort of the point of this block party that you're planning to host, right? <laughs> like, Silva's like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta get some neighborhood outreach going. Yeah, sorry for murdering you and all of your friends, but hey, uh, would you like some macaroni salad? <laughs> right. You gotta get the common folk on your side. <laughs> It's about more than just the war between the techno gangers and yourselves. It's it's about the innocent bystanders. Yeah, won't someone think about them, right? Look, look, they are over there with all those horrible las burns. Uh huh. Uh, well, I guess we were the only ones using las guns, so never mind. Ignore those people. They're probably horrible traitors. Don't worry about them. Right. So you send out a bunch of invitations, right, to the whole neighborhood to rebuild, to heal, uh, you know, to sample some exotic delicacies and cake and punch, you know, like Silva's really, really trying to do the outreach here. Yeah, I like the idea that we sent armsmen to deliver these invitations, but they only really know how to do one thing. So they were invitations delivered at gunpoint. Uh huh. We would very much appreciate your attendance. Kindly show up to this event. <laughs> or else. There will be cake. <laughs> or there will be punch. Or there will it. be punch, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Techno Gangers are also on the list to receive invitations, and they are rightfully skeptical. Um, even as the day approaches, they do not RSVP, unlike most of the neighborhood. So they're just like Facebook friends, sure, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so ultimately, they send a single representative, a senior Valkyrian named Isser. And he seeks out Silva amid the revelry to inform her that he's authorized to negotiate on behalf of the gangs. So he laments that we have failed to understand the gangs. He explains that we, the rogue traders, are simply the latest group of offworlders who have shown up and decided to bully or harass the gangers. You know, well, it's good to know we're not alone, right? Yeah. Uh, but over the course of this conversation, he again mentions the League. Um, which is like a term that we've heard before. And Silva begins to surmise that the gangs are obsessing over technology, not so much for its own sake, but as uh, an ante that they have to cough up in order to compete in this league that they value. Uh, Though she doesn't really understand exactly what the competition is. Yeah. So with this information in hand, um, 
the festivities are kind of starting to die down, right? And Silva and Isser manage to strike a deal. You guys agree uh, to cease hostilities with the Technogangers, uh, including, he's quick to note, any form of taxation or tariff that you would wish to apply on the Ganger's goods coming into or out of the manufactories. Uh, after all, <laughs> they deal in technology and probably, you know, drugs and probably some other, you know, things that you wouldn't necessarily want uh, on the official ledger anywhere. Uh, what are we talking about? We should legalize all of it and tax it. Come on. Well, Come on. you could do that, but you can't do it to theirs. <laughs> and in return, Silva is getting uh, what she has been after uh, ever since Trix and Flair first uh, busted up that random gang that they stumbled across. And I think Flair tore off some guy's arm. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> yeah, well, he's dead, so it's fine. Uh, what is that? It is an invitation to join this league along with a time, a place, and instructions that we should only bring our auntie. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're talking about awarding treasure. Uh, you can thank Astronomifier on our Discord channel for the suggestion for this episode. Is Astronomifier or Astronomifier? Mm, both. Hmm. Uh, neither. I, uh, there's only one way to find out, but it's Discord, so it'll be really hard to explain the pronunciation. Astronomifier. Nice. Yeah. All right. So, Shane, uh, what the hell is treasure? So, treasure are one of your rewards for adventure. Treasure are? Is this like data? Yes. <laughs> treasure are reward. Treasure are life. Uh, so, we typically think of treasure as loot, but more broadly, it's the rewards that the GM is choosing uh, for the players compared to experience, which is generally the result of which generally results in the players choosing their reward. Okay, so like if you look in, for example, the 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide right now, it says, hey, rewards, things that you can give. And it breaks it down to like uh, treasure and experience and um, boons and things like that. So we're specifically this episode talking about like material goods, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tangible uh, rewards. Things like gold and gems and art. Which all end up being the same thing, right? Because the only thing I care about an art object is how many gold pieces it's worth. Uh, maybe for you, but I'm spending all of my gold to build my fortress and my castle. And I don't want bare walls, so I'm keeping the art. Uh, that's what tapestries are for, because they also insulate. Paintings <laughs> are terrible insulation unless you burn them. Well, that's why the gallery is in the dead center of the fortress. Why, uh, why else do you think I built a fortress to protect my art? <laughs> Everybody wants my art. <laughs> Uh, it'll also be things like weapons uh, or, you know, vehicles. Like, speaking of your fortress, I prefer a mobile fortress. Mm -hmm. because, you would. Yeah, of course. I like to stay on the move, you know, on the go. Uh, or just random bits of technology. In 40K, it could be an STC. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, you've got magic items, right, of, of all sorts of form and utility. Any archaeotech or xenotech, you know, any of the, like, strange items that you might find over the course of your adventures. Like, not quite MacGuffins, but the, the type of items that have bizarre uses. Right. So depending on your setting, uh, any of these could be very transient, right? You could find some gold or art. Uh, you could find weapons or magic items and then immediately go back to town and, and sell it or trade it in for other versions of the same stuff or like completely different things. Yeah. And this is totally like a setting and tone thing, right? You know, if you're playing that super hard scrabble game where 
Um, you're tracking every bullet for your sling and you're tracking every arrow for your bow and you need to make sure that you can make rations this week or else you're going to starve. Well, maybe you can't just take it back to town and sell it, right? Maybe you have to make do with what you have. Um, but other times you're, you know, high-flying, swashbuckling rogue traders with thousands of armsmen at your disposal and literal millions of you know, credits worth of, of equipment, um, any given item isn't that precious. So if in your game, players can readily sell and swap the treasure that they're finding in order to get something that they actually want, it behaves a lot more like experience in that it isn't the stuff that matters so much as the fact that you you are getting something uh, that is a reward for both your past deeds and makes it easier for you to uh, continue to adventure in the future. Yeah, the actual goods themselves aren't that important. It's just the number of goods that you have is important, right. or we the got, value of those goods. We got number of stuff, and then I did something with it, and it increased the numbers on my sheet. Great. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it it kind of harkens back to like the old school, like one gold piece equals one experience point. Yeah, exactly. I mean... You're not wrong. <laughs> it's kind of the core element of the game, right? Like, that's that's the cycle. All right. So the thing that we're actually talking about uh, this time is not so much, like, about treasure, but how do you go about awarding it? You know, what do you give? How do you give it? How much do you give? That's really, I think, the, the main question uh, that, that people have is, like, I know I'm supposed to give stuff, but, like, what do I give them? And, and like, four of them? Right. Eight of them? 10,000? So you, one of your main concerns here is going to be game balance. Uh, you know, like, if you're not concerned about balance, then like who cares how much gold or like how many magic items you give them. But for most people, like the big question is how much is going to be too much? Or the old fourth edition problem is how much is too little? <laughs> right, in order for you to keep up with the math, right? Right. Yeah, you want to you wanna think about are there game-changing effects that you need to account for in your items, right? In your treasure. Um, that That is the fourth edition problem is that you needed game-changing effects, like literally changing the numbers on your sheet in order for the the game to continue balancing. Right, you needed a weapon or an implement or armor with a high enough plus on it that you could still compete with the monsters that you were expected to face. Yep. Um, and then, you know, in other games, you want to think about like, are there certain abilities that you might have that now open up different avenues in the game that you have to account for? So things like teleportation or flight or, you know, um, having a ship that's capable of uh, interstellar travel or hyperspace or warp travel. Yeah, it's interesting that like almost immediately the first thing that comes to mind for people are movement capabilities. Mm hmm. Uh, because that just opens up so many more options for the party. And it also means that it's much more difficult for the GM to plan ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, but it can also be things like uh, healing capabilities. If you're in a party where you don't necessarily have a dedicated healer. Um, once uh, you get items that potentially allow you to like resurrect people, then you know death becomes more of a speed bump than an actual like, hard stop. Things like that. Then in terms of game balance, you also want to think about um, any limits in place of how many of major items or, or certain items that characters are able to use or carry. Um, you know, D&D or, or some more classic games, this used to be just a number of item slots, right? You could only carry, you could only wear one set of bracers and three rings and one cloak. Um, I think now, like in 5th edition, you've got the concept of attunement, right? And, and things like that. That actually is 
part of the metagame that was very important for players, but also GMs who were trying to hand out loot that was actually useful to their party. Like, if the rules say you can actually only wear one ring on each hand, then once people have two rings, rings are useless to them. Uh, Unless it is, you know, distinctly better than a ring they had previously. Um, I I like the 5th edition version where it's like, I don't know, just like use your head. Can you wear two cloaks? You can probably get away with that, but you probably can't wear two pairs of boots Mm -hmm. uh, because it makes things much less fiddly in terms of like, oh, this enchantment is much better on a ring because I have 10 fingers than it is on an amulet because I, I guess I can only like stick one clasp on on like my cloak you know and it's why in for example fifth edition items that don't require attunement are so so much better and more powerful than items that do require attunement well so let's talk about that because i think like one of the things about game balance and one of the reasons that it's so hard to give firm recommendations about how to award treasure is just that it is entirely dependent on the system you're playing um so some systems include guidelines, sometimes not in the initial book, but like even fourth edition eventually did tell you what you needed for bonuses. Mm-hmm. Um, but like most notably, like fifth edition D&D doesn't give you any guidance on what type of treasure to give or how often. And even specifically, like they've stated, we don't assume that you have any treasure, which sounds an awful lot like permission to not give any treasure. Right, and then as soon as you do, they sort of throw up their hands and say, oh, well, game balance is broken now, so you're on your own. Yeah. I think, what's the most recent book? I think we finally got one chart that said, like, here's probably the amount of magic items that a given party will have. Yep. But it is, like, I think it's buried in Xanathar's Guide. That sounds right. Or maybe Mordenkainen's. Oh, yeah, I think it is Mordenkainen's with, um, when it finally lists out uh, minor and major magic items. Yeah, that sounds right. So... I think to help solve the 5e problem, right, there's a couple couple general rules and then some third-party resources as well. Um, if, you're, if you're trying to measure relative power, I think there are two documents that are useful. One is the Sane Magical Item Prices Guide, which is very Googleable. We'll include a link in the show notes, but that's just a free PDF that was created by a bunch of like giant-in-the-playground forum users, I think. Yeah, which basically... Uh, discards the rarity system the 5th edition uses right now and replaces it with a gold piece system not necessarily with the plan that these will all be purchasable but just in order to rank them in terms of power Yeah. so consumables end up much cheaper for example and then the uh, kind of derivative of that is the discerning merchants price guide which is on the DM's guild uh, which I have heard is sort of moderately better than the same magical item prices um it ranks um first of all a lot more items like from all the adventures and things like that but also like doesn't use quite the same assumptions that like um certain things like don't have prices in the same magical item prices guide things like um sensor of water right because that would like disrupt the economy um you know so certain things like that that just like cause like sort of world-breaking problems don't include prices um, probably because they are way too focused on realism and less so on gamism. Um, so discerning merchants price guide is, is a little more approachable in that regard. Right. Like how much will that actually affect this particular adventure that we're on? None. If I yeah. leave this thing on. <laughs> exactly. Like, right, I'm not flooding the entire plane with water. 
Exactly. Like, so yes, sure. That item might cause problems if it existed in large scale and somebody just left it on forever, but it's not going to matter for your game. We can give it a price and move on with our lives. Right. And yeah, and there'll be things like uh, the Qual's tree token for some reason doesn't show up in St. Magical Item Price Guide. Whatever. Yeah. We're going to ruin the world by being great arboreal.ists <laughs> like that's the only one my druid wanted right i need a tree so i can tree stride from anywhere mm-hmm. all right so you started to hint at this but what are some of the general rules for magic items in fifth edition so if a, an item does require attunement it does sort of have that inbuilt break lever already right you can only attune to three items maximum so uh it probably fits within game balance to give an item that does require attunement uh at least until you get to like the legendary levels because everyone is always going to be limited in the number that they can have yeah yeah you can only stack so many of these items together you don't have to worry too much about breaking your game on some weird esoteric combo although i mean a staff of power uh and an amulet of health is uh like a great one-two punch for any Mm. character yeah (laughs) Um, Also, you should be careful of any ability score bonuses, Um, anything that would affect like bounded accuracy, right? The idea that you should only ever have a plus five from your ability can can be a problem. Um, They they limit weapons to plus one, plus two, plus three. I think if that's the only thing that's affecting bounded accuracy is like one item affecting that role, you're probably okay. Um, if you start stacking those kind of effects together, you can get a little wonky uh, outside of the range. Yeah, you can see a lot of people wanting to stack a particular effect. And, you know, maybe they don't have super pluses on their attack bonus, but they've basically stacked like a, a plus six to their AC from yeah. their different items. Right. We touched on this earlier, but uh, items that don't require attunement are definitely the place where you optimize your character in 5th edition. Mm-hmm. So getting the most powerful effect that you can for no attunement cost is definitely like its own little game within the game. Um, So that's where you want to spend most of your time really focusing on like, is this going to be a problem? Yeah. And then be wary of magic items that only benefit casters. Casters tend to be more powerful than martial characters anyway. So if you have something that's like removing the limitation of spell slots that they have or let them regain spell slots, that's going to be quite powerful. Yeah, there's just so many more magic items that, like, cool, any caster can use this, and it gives you six new spells three times per day. And it's like, great, you're one big limitation with spell slots, and now you just have more things you can do at more times per day. Right, this has 50 charges, and you regain 1d10 charges every day. Yeah, it's like two additional fireballs or, like, a bunch of utility spells. Right. Uh, which is why, actually, I am much less concerned about giving utility items to martial or martial-based characters. Um, I am very, I'm actually really not that concerned about movement-based abilities from magic items like uh, swim speed or like short-term flight or things like that. Because the person who's going to end up with that is almost definitely going to be like the fighter or the barbarian and not the wizard who's like, uh, I can cast fly whenever I want. I don't care. Yeah. Okay, so... Another thing that comes up a lot when people talk about their challenges with awarding uh, with awarding treasure is this idea of the magic item Christmas tree, right? Where your adventurer is so festooned in gear that they have just uh, they're dripping with magic items and they just go pull the right one for the job and get on with their day. Yeah, like there's a point in almost every fantasy game where someone is like, all right, I cast detect magic. And you have to be like, well, all of you like shine like beacons. <laughs> You're blinded by your party, but other than that, you don't see anything. 
Right. This is like the kind of example here is like always like the fighter who carries four swords, one for each occasion, and just grabs the sword that they need based on whether they're fighting something that's immune to fire or immune to cold or immune to whatever. Right. And here's the hammer I use for when things are immune to uh, like slashing damage. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense with most of the fiction that people are trying to emulate. Right. Um, and then likewise, you get that situation where it's like, cool, I started and like my level one magic item that the DM gave to me is my family heirloom sword that's been, you know, like mounted on our mantle for a hundred years. And it's a plus one sword that I'm super powerful. And now I've hit level five and I just got anything else and I just tossed it out the back. <laughs> like never attuned to that sword again. That's useless now. Yeah, completely. This is a plus two. Come on. <laughs> like. <laughs> When you do have a backpack full of magic items, right, even if you're not wearing them all the time, and even if you do have to attune to them, like, you can swap attunements with an hour short rest in 5e, right? Uh, If you're dealing with a system that has no attunement slots, like, uh, you know, 40k, like, we're playing Rogue Traders, right? Like, you have access to an entire ship's worth of gear. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are traveling with access to all that at all times, then you've always got your solution with you. Like, it, it really becomes about item optimization than, like, actually you know winning a combat or like figuring out a puzzle yeah and then like narratively the fiction becomes very very much more focused on like oh i was smart so i grabbed that solution rather than like i was smart so i solved the problem you know like it just it feels like for example like the worst rpg stories for me are always like oh and then i got my like plus five vorpal sword and i cut his head off on a critical and it's like okay cool so like your item did that right like what did you like what was the story there like you rolled a 20 like i don't that's boring right like i I care much more about like your final showdown with the lich and like how he tried to manipulate you and you finally got revenge or like yeah you finally avenged your family right right like you you were carrying a plus five verbal sword what else were you gonna do but try to cut its head off yeah (laughs) (laughs) if you didn't do that if your story didn't start with that i'd be like well you're an idiot yeah (laughs) Like, yeah, so I don't know. It just, it seems like there's a diminishing return there on on the benefit you get to your story, the more items you throw into the mix. Yeah, and as someone who, like, I love backpacks full of gear uh, and magical gear, uh, I will say at a certain point, you also hit diminishing returns in your attention span or, like, how much as a player that you can remember that you have access to, you know? Like, you can only keep in your head, like a dozen different attack plans for mm-hmm. for any like given situation and then you always end up looking at your sheet later and be like oh i i totally forgot about like you know the, this potion that i've been sandbagging this whole time this would have been the perfect occasion to use it but like i just have too much stuff this is why wizards just end up casting fireball oh absolutely yeah <laughs> it's like too many options fireball <laughs> look it might be lightning bolt if everyone's standing in a line yeah, exactly <laughs> Uh, so I think another big challenge that people have with awarding loot um, is the random tables, right? Like this is the original D&D tradition, the history of the game. You just build a table with percentages and let the dice decide what you're actually giving out. Yeah, that dumb sacred cow that has ruined many a game. 
Oh, not just RPGs though. Like I mean, that is a terrible thing in computer RPGs, right? Uh-huh. Like that's mm-hmm. that's MMOs, and then now that's what you get loot boxes for. So congratulations, Gygax, you did it. You've ruined everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, in those instances, it's a feature, not a bug, right? Like, well, try, it was a feature. Again. It was try a feature again. back in D and D, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Back then, it was right. Run the dungeon again. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's been a bug the entire time, is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, but but these days, like if you are paying attention to game balance, if you are uh, want to make sure the like within the fiction of the game, people are finding things that they actually find useful and that they use, and that like you know you've crafted custom for them, or or you've like they've worked together with the DM to like find something that is really meaningful for them, then like yeah, random loot completely ruins that. Yeah, and then you can also end up with just secondary effects, right, of any random solution that's got long-term impact. Like, you could just end up with a wide disparity between the players. It's just like rolling for stats. You know, if you're going to be here playing for a year, then you want to keep people close, and it's really hard to do that if you're letting the dice decide. You know, Shane, rolling terribly for your loot makes you a better role player. Mm-hmm, that's what I heard. Yep. Mm-hmm. By by gentlemen who are twice my age with longer beards than me. <laughs> All right, so like in theory, you know, if you make enough rolls on your magic item tables, then the results balance out. And like if everyone's kind of sharing among the party, then it works out all right. But like in practice, it, you're not rolling enough on those magic item tables. I mean, unless you're, I think, literally handing out a thousand magic items. Yeah. Like you're not going to get to the point where like everything balances out enough. One one strange roll on the, on the table and like the whole campaign screwed. Yeah. Like, you you might roll on, like, tables A, B, and C often enough that you'll get through most of it, and, like, it'll always kind of feel like you've got the right level for those. But, you know, going back to, like, table F and table G and table H, right? Like, the real higher order ones where you've got a good, like, 20 to 25% chance of a legendary, like, you might roll on those three times in a campaign. Um, if, if your roll happens to be 100 and another player happens to roll a three, like cool like one of you got a legendary item and the other got an uncommon like that sucks yeah i remember this one uh 3.5 eberron game i was in where um the gm was rolling like it was a it was a big horde or whatever that we just gotten and the gm was rolling random loot table like right there in front of us you know and that was very exciting you know but i think it ended up with like a plus one weapon like random weapon that probably no one was was really using uh some boots with like a neat movement ability and then uh the book like the consumable book that you read with a plus five inherent bonus to wisdom oh and it was like uh okay well there's three items and there's three of us yeah who's who's getting the plus five to wisdom i kill the druid win i kill the druid while he reads the book (laughs) right (laughs) and then i read the book before the magic is gone i'm the druid now I mean, with a plus five bonus to wisdom, you can be. I could be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then I think one much lower order challenge with uh, with awarding treasure, but does come up from time to time, is how do you divide up the loot, right? Like, who gets what? Um, what do you do when multiple people want the same item, or there's one item that's just clearly better than the others? Um, you know, how do you solve those kind of they're more almost social problems than they are necessarily game problems. Right. But it still just introduces a bit of a challenge. Yeah. I think what we tend to do at our table is um, just part of the social contract is that like everybody wants everybody else to not only have fun playing their character, but be able to contribute meaningfully to like the, the party 
right? To like be good at what you're doing because none of us want to like get stabbed by kobolds. Uh, so it's less about who has the right number of magic items and more like who, uh, where is everyone's power level on the curve, you know? So I, I think in our Dark Sum game right now, like your character, Kid, has like three magic items, but none of them are particularly powerful. And like one of them is, but like it helps with scouting and you're the scout, right? But like we could divvy those up so that it was like more fair in terms of numbers, but those, some of those items would be less useful for other people and other people like are less interested in them because like that's not their task in the party right now and mm -hmm. later we're going to get more magic items and like they'll probably go to them or we'll shuffle them around depending on like what's the the best spread for the party at any given moment yeah um you can also run into the situation where you end up carving somebody's niche out for somebody else right like like you said like um and I can't remember even what item it is, but like my character is the scout. I frequently end up in the front and uh, ultimately getting hit with stuff. But if somebody else took the item that made you good at scouting, well, now maybe I won't always be the scout. And I lost my cool thing about my character was that I am always the one out front scouting. You know, like now I have to share that. Yeah. Or we have two people who are like, okay, it's scouting now <laughs> rather than <laughs> yeah, like one that. person who's always good at it. Right. Yeah, so that's a that's a good transition. So let's talk about how we handle treasure at our table amongst the various games that we play. Uh, yeah, I like that it's it's kind of different depending on the game and the setting and the GM. So in a couple of our games, we sort of let players choose what magic items they're going to get. In the original Morning Glory game, uh, in Angelo's Dark Sun game, we do the fourth edition thing where you send the GM a list of magic items that you're interested in. Um, these are things that like you know are going to work for your character and that your character will be interested in if they happen to find these things. So like it saves the GM a ton of time in terms of like scouring to like find exactly what what is useful and like when you get something you're never disappointed that like that's what you got. Yeah, so you'll note Morning Glory Dark Sun like Eberron, right? Like there's no magic item stores. People don't just sell magic items. Um, Eberron has like very common low level magic, but there's no good, powerful magic items readily available in stores in Eberron. No one's selling a legendary. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. For us, it's sort of just like whether it's the in fiction intent, right? Of like somebody is offering us access to their vault and we get to pick the item that we want or it's just a convenient happenstance of oh yeah like in the lich's tomb there happens to be this item that you were asking about like the party is always finding gear that's primarily useful right and it only requires a little bit of suspension of disbelief to like maybe be surprised about it yeah i mean you're always surprised at the time that you get the thing you asked for, right? Yeah, like that's Christmas true. morning is still fun with the Christmas list. Right. Or or that you are getting that item, right? Because there are always more things on the list than items that you're going to get. Right. And then you can also still get items that are not necessarily on your list. In other games, we just let players shop. Uh, this makes much more sense in a setting where, you know, you can actually buy things like, you know, gear in Dynasty Unwarranted. All of your gear in Dynasty Unwarranted is pretty much liquid. You can easily trade an item for an equivalently rare item. Um, you know, it's a little harder to trade up and, like, go from a rare to a very rare, but it's still possible. 
Um, likewise, like in Birthright, we're playing heads of state. So of course we can get the things we're looking for. You know, like there's just a huge national vault with a ton of gold in it and probably whatever item we're looking for. Yeah, like why would I have a bad version of an item? It doesn't even right. make any sense. It makes the country look bad. Exactly. So this is good when your PCs should be able to find what they're looking for as long as they're willing to pay the price. Um, and sometimes for the highest level or the most powerful treasure that they're looking for, you might need an adventure specifically to obtain it, right? Like you might have to go get that one item that exists only within, you know, the Mad Mage's dungeon. Uh, that means you got to go clear the Mad Mage's dungeon in order to go get it out of there. Yeah, and this actually works with the uh, wish lists as well. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to stumble across the item that you put in your wish list in a random drop. It could just mean that you find out the location of that item, and now if you want to go get it, you can. Right. Uh, Another thing you can do that probably uh, takes some of the most work is giving targeted treasure. So basically the GM is picking... Uh, specific items for specific players and then you know an npc is giving it to them or you happen to find it yeah a lot of times this stuff isn't going to be like you know magic items and gear so much as, as it is something that's personally important to that pc you know a signet ring from their lost parent right or um even like to to a certain degree like could be just like the story or the truth of what happened to um to like a family member or a friend or something like that right like closure could be sort of the the treasure that you receive even if it's not actually a physical you know item Mm. Uh, this segues uh, nicely into the next point Uh, i think it's good to seed these kinds of um items that are important to a character uh, rather than necessarily a character build because you can do a lot with them later like for example Uh, One way to give people items is to offer upgrades uh, or like awaken the items that they currently have in a way so that the treasure can grow along with the character. And like a a meaningful signet ring that was just a signet ring at like level three is a great option to like, you know, uh, gain powers while a character is adventuring. Yeah. So and you can flavor this whatever way you want, right? Like um, I like when the warlock has a packed weapon. Um, maybe like the warlock's magic is able to absorb the enchantment out of some other like flaming longsword, and now your packed weapon has not like the the sword is the sword, but it now has the flaming property. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if you can take uh, like your rifle. Uh, in a military game to a black market gunsmith and they can add pretty much any aftermarket parts or uh, additions that you want yeah and like i I, i'm thinking like in scum and villainy right like um or uh blaze in the dark like a lot of those games like there's an archetype where you are the the thug or the heavy right who's like very obsessed with your weapons right like you've named your knuckle dusters and you've named your sniper rifle and like it would be a little weird if you've named your sniper rifle and then at the first glance of something that's a slightly better model you're like okay well bye sparky like time to meet my new gun belinda like what yeah you you add an under barrel belinda to sparky exactly you should be doing (laughs) Uh, And yeah, like we said, important items can grow alongside the PCs. You just need to find a reason that that might happen in game. You know, maybe just the the items powers are an expression of the innate power of a person doesn't even necessarily need to come from the item itself, right? It could be Dumbo's feather, right? 
but it, it could just be that the item gains magical abilities. Um, you you had this with Cube in Morning Glory, who like gained, who unlocked new abilities, or I guess in game remembered new abilities as the party became more powerful and sort of like coached Cube along into remembering its past. Yeah. Uh, this is happening with Lil Magnus in uh, Dynasty Unwarranted 2. I think we're unveiling new powers that it has. Yeah, you certainly have. He keeps learning things from everybody you expose him to. Yeah, which is <laughs> terrible because we've been mostly exposing him to us. <laughs> Indeed. To harken back to the Vorpal Sword thing, I mean, yeah, it's kind of lame to be like, I have this Vorpal Sword and I'm I'm just cutting everything's head off. But I do really like the idea that if you did get a lucky crit against like a dragon or something like that and killed it you know like a hand that that cut its head off like maybe now your sword is a vorpal sword right like yeah. like that's the moment when the sword was like wait a minute you know what i like i like cutting heads off yeah that's great that's <laughs> especially great if it's some if that sword has been set up as like you know an heirloom weapon it's mm-hmm. not just some random sword it is an important sword or like you know the wizard was channeling through his staff in order to prevent the arcane ritual right and ultimately defeat the lich and like in the process that staff became infused with some of the magic and is now a staff of power yeah right? or or the druid equivalent right if it were an, a, a natural kind of ritual yeah or maybe you broke that staff of power over your knee and, and miraculously you survive but the shards of it i think are going to be something interesting right yeah did you know I wrote the 3.5 um, forum handbook on Weapons of Legacy? I did not. No, that was me. I don't even know that it's available anymore because all those forums got exploded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it existed. <laughs> uh, yeah, Weapons of Legacy are cool. And I think if even just one character has one and other people can watch its power and influ- influence grow, uh, other people are going to want them as well. So like I said, just seed those items in there even if they don't have abilities yet. So the next thing that we try to do, you kind of alluded to this as a as a social contract thing, but we do try to keep our items relatively even. So we try to get everybody roughly on the same tier of treasure. Um, so like, you know, if we're all getting rare items and there's one person who doesn't have one, we'll try to get the next rare item to them. Um, if we've got like two people who want the same item and they're everybody's relatively evil, equal. <laughs> or both. <laughs> or both. We'll just roll off, you know, and, and see who gets it. Um, but this is totally a social contract thing, right? Like there doesn't have to be an in fiction reason for this. Um, and my character won't allow you to have that is definitely not an excuse. Like we just agree above the table. Like we're just going to share the items and move on. Right. The, the greedy rogue still needs to share with everyone else because it just causes too many problems. Yeah. You can't declare a character trait as I get all the items like that. That's not cool. No, and this is especially important in games like Rogue Trader, where it's typically one character who's like specced for buying or like acquiring items, you know, like that's a skill role. So you can't have the one person being like, well, I got myself a lot of great stuff. Uh, Screw you guys. Yeah, I mean, that's like the Bagman ability um, in Knights Black Agents, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you if you don't have that character, it's harder to get the gear you're looking for. But like the guy who has the gear is not necessarily useful unless he gives it to the people who can actually make the best use of it. Right. Um, so another thing I think that's important is to roll out new gear slowly. Um, especially like if everybody is kind of getting their new round of gear at the same time, 
you don't necessarily need to give out new items after every session. And this is good because it gives you a chance to adjust to their new abilities. Giving gear out more slowly also gives people more time to get adjusted to their character with that item. You know, it's a new ability, basically, that you have to remember how to use or figure out how to use optimally. Um, It's also something that GM needs to plan for, like your character has a new ability. So if you're giving it out all the time, it's really hard to like stay up to date and know, know exactly like how things have changed. Yeah. So that's, that's what I, that's why I like doing it slowly. Then you can kind of adjust the difficulty upward after you see how these items actually work in your player's hands. Right. So you create this kind of natural cycle of like they get treasure, they win their next round of challenges pretty handily because as the GM, like I wasn't quite ready to judge their new power level. And then like the difficulty of their challenges go up as the stakes increase because they're able to handle more stuff with their new items. Yeah, I was very wrong. Apparently a plus five Vorpal Longsword uh, is a game changer. Indeed. Who would have thought? Right on to CR 35 now. (laughs) Was that six Tarasks you'll be facing? Indeed it is, my good man. (laughs) No, no, all at once. It's fine. Not in a row. God, I'm not (laughs) a monster. Consecutive Tarasks, please. (laughs) Concurrent. Concurrent. Um, and then the next thing that's important is to include treasure sinks in your games. Um, cause at a certain point, wealth is no longer practical to count, right? Like you can't carry 20,000 gold pieces around and you can't spend them either. So yeah, not trying hard enough. <laughs> if, if you don't have something to keep busy with all of that wealth, like it's kind of just a wasted number on a sheet, right? So add in ways to spend that money on things that are just cool to do, right? So things like building a castle, right? That could start with a small fortress or even a house and then wind up founding a neighborhood or a village or a city or eventually like a nation. Yeah, this is a conversation that's come up a bit on uh, the Discord channel. But like for a long time, I have seen just weird conversations on Reddit where people are complaining that their uh, their party wants to build a stronghold or like they, they want to like buy a, a galleon. You know, and they're like getting all this gold and now they're going to like outfit this galleon and they're going to get put cannons on it. And like they're figuring out their flag. And I'm always like, why don't I have that group? Yeah, problem (laughs) solved. (laughs) You don't have that group because you won't let us go do other stuff. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's that's because you are the most easily distracted people on the planet. Look, fine, whatever. (laughs) I just wanted to go to the Lazar Principalities and be a pirate. I don't understand what the deal is. That's uh, that's Morning Glory 3. Okay. (laughs) Um, so there's some definitely plenty of other ideas for treasure sinks, right? So you could also build a network. Um, this is, you know, your underground resistance movement, your cults, your networks of spies, your different, like, I guess in a certain game, like your terrorist cells or something like that, right? Like just investing rather than in places, invest in people. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, dueling assassin schools. Uh, yeah, you could do that. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, we mentioned a ship. Uh, vehicles are great for that kind of thing, although you can do it with strongholds as well. Um, you're usually getting like a junker, right? Like you mm-hmm. don't get a pristine new firefly. You get an old crappy firefly that can barely stay in the sky and you fix it up little by little. Right. Which is definitely a money sink. It is a <laughs> money pit. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, if it floats, it flies. Yeah. <laughs> You know, how do I uh, keep my players poor and always hungry in these kinds of scavenging uh, games like Firefly? Oh, uh, well, stuff breaks. Yeah, give them a ship. 
Right. <laughs> They'll be broke in no time. Right. They'll be so happy that you gave them the ship uh, until they catch on. Right. Um, and then, you know, we mentioned Acquisitions Inc. at the top of the order, but um, investing in a business or businesses is, is a great joint downtime and money sink activity, um, especially if it's more of a passion project than necessarily a profit project. Mm-hmm. So uh, one question we do see sometimes, though, is people trying to figure out how to take back or get rid of an item that they've given that was too powerful. Uh, it's it's hard to do. You need to figure out like a, a good reason that it would happen, assuming that you're not just talking to the player above the table and saying like, hey, this is like a bit too powerful. Mm-hmm. But it's also probably the reason why I, le- I lean toward giving less treasure and less powerful items because you can always fix that later by giving more or like adding an additional power that they've awakened, right? Like, oh, wow, you discover this new power that I wasn't sure I should give you in the first place, but I think it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like nothing feels worse to a player than losing that thing, right? right. Like taking something off your sheet, erasing it is the most painful act to a player. Uh-huh, which is why rust monsters are terrible. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's social contract. So I think if you have given out an item that you're you're worried is too powerful or something, I think you do have to resist that urge to just remove it, right? Um, and if you if you can't talk to the player above the table about how it's you think it's affecting the game, then the other thing to do is just raise the stakes, right? Create a threat that requires that amazing sword of doom and victory that you've accidentally given to the player, like that requires that sword in order to contest it, right? So there's some threat in the room that is so big that that sword has to be dedicated to fighting it so that the other players can do other things. Yeah, I think another thing you can do is, one, wait it out, right? Like, if someone has something that's too powerful right now, well, maybe they're just a little too powerful for now, and eventually other people are going to get loot and everyone's advancing in... uh, level to the point where, like, their amazing item isn't as amazing anymore, and great, now it's just normal because everyone's got gear about that level and mm-hmm. just don't make that same mistake again. Yeah. Um, and one other option is, like, make sure that that they have earned it. You know, I think in, in Morning Glory, like, uh, Kallik ended up with the best weapon. Like, he had the only plus three weapon. It was a Holy Avenger. It had some other ability. Like, it was hands down the best weapon that anybody had. But also all of his like role playing and like the direction of his character was geared toward that weapon and the abilities that that weapon gave him. So I think to everyone else, it made sense. And like everyone else had like more utility items and he just poured everything into the sword. Well, also every time he did anything like remotely evil, the sword just blasted him in the head. Right. I I think you guys were like, Oh, you, you earned that. Okay. (laughs) You deserve that over there. It's not like he found a Holy Avenger. He slowly unlocked and paid a blood price for his holy adventure. <laughs> right, right. So by the time he was actually able to use it fully, it was like, yep, seems fair. So yeah, like to to wrap this up, I think the biggest takeaway as far as awarding treasure is like, don't worry about it. Like it's fine, right? Like make it interesting, um, make it exciting for the players, and and it'll all work itself out. Like after a couple of encounters, you'll adapt to their new abilities and their new power level. Um, just like when they level up and especially like when they hit their new tier, like tier five, uh, you know, like hitting level five or level 11 or whatever, like you'll, you'll adjust, like you still control the difficulty, you know, the players, you can, you can figure it out. You can just raise the DC. It'll be okay. And you know, Hey, you can also, the BBEG decided that they would cloak their lair in an anti-magic field. 
Well, <laughs> sure. If you want to take away their item. <laughs> <laughs> Only temporarily. Seems like, temporarily. It seems like that fighter still has a really low wisdom, though. <laughs> yeah, now he doesn't have his plus five inherent bonus. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Nope. Because uh, my perception check also went down, weirdly. It doesn't make any sense, but I have harder time hearing things in this anti-magic field. All right. Well, if you can't hear it coming... Then it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. And before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Zen's Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. You can also join us on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. I'm Lisa Chen, and I host Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop games. There are so many women to behold in this amazing hobby, and our experiences as female gamers are as diverse as we are as individuals. Through one-on-one interviews, audio essays, and panel discussions, all centered around a monthly theme, the guests on Behold Her share their unique stories as players, game masters, designers, artists, organizers, and so much more. Their words are inspiring, uplifting, and informative. Check out Behold Her Podcast wherever podcasts are found, or visit BeholdHerPodcast.com. So, this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Treasure Hunter. Shane, how is this different from the Two-Fisted Archaeologist? Uh, because I said it's different from the Two-Fisted Archaeologist, Ishan. Makes perfect sense. Sounds good to me. This yeah, is, no. This is uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull? I guess sort of, yeah. Like, the yeah, idea here yeah. is that you're not running rough and tumble through deadly crypts because you're, you know, two-fisted and an archaeologist. You're the sage, well-connected leader who assembles a team to recover the lost treasure. Right, like many of the foils to the two-fisted archaeologist are more treasure hunters. Wait, right? so we built a Nazi? Well, okay, so <laughs> <laughs> you could also be like that rival, uh, rival of Lara Croft, if you'd prefer, or uh, any of the various foils to Nathan Drake. Yes, that works. This is the person who is not necessarily like trusting to luck and like kicking their way in through the tomb. They are the one who actually studies it and like is. It knows what traps are coming up because, like, they uh, speak ancient Mayan. Yeah, and, like, a lot of times they're the person that the two-fisted archaeologist is drafting off of, right? Like, you went and found it and did all the work and, like, paid off the, the various people and tracked down all the information and assembled it. And so you know where you're going. Um, and now you've assembled a team of people in order to go actually get the item. Like, that's a big part that kind of gets brushed over is like how does indiana jones always know exactly which temple he should be raiding because the nazis enlisted him okay okay Okay. all right so what's less nazis no nazis no nazis what's the build the build is knowledge cleric nine lore bard 11 i see where this is going so from nine levels of knowledge cleric we're getting fifth level spells a uh, bunch of useful domain spells for tracking down info, like identify, augury, speak with dead. <laughs> uh, I punched you to death. Well, and I shot you, right, with that one bullet, and then speak with dead, and you'll tell me where everything is. Yep. Arcane Eye for looking around corners. Legend Lore for picking up uh, info on the wind. I, Legend Lore is, like, is clutch for this, right? Yeah. You name the item, and it pretty much tells you where you need to go looking. 
uh, scrying. Hey, Legend Lord told me where I should go look, but let's look before I go look. Yeah, look before you leap. <laughs> um, at level one, you also get Blessings of Knowledge, which is two of the knowledge expertises. Uh, this will probably be History and Arcana. And for 10 minutes with your channel Divinity, you can get proficiency in any skill. Very handy, because who knows what you'll run into. Uh, you'll also be able to turn undead, uh, useful in crypts full of undead things or dead things. Um, and then at the uh, at level 8, you'll be able to destroy undead up to CR1. You'll also be able to use your channel divinity at level 6 to read thoughts, which is very helpful if you're dealing with someone, you know, uh, the last in a line of uh, guardians who refuse to reveal the location of the, the crypt or where the grail is. That's right. fine. You don't need to tell me anything. I'm just going to read your mind. All I have to do is get you to think about it, and I'm good. Don't think about the location of the grail. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Um, and then at level 8, you'll get potent spellcasting, which lets you add wisdom to your cleric cantrip damage. From lore bard, you'll get d10 bardic inspiration die uh, and 6th level bard spells, but you'll have ninth level sp- slots overall, so you can upcast. Um, you'll also get jack of all trades at level two and expertise at level three. Uh, that gives you half proficiency to things you aren't proficient in and double proficiency to, um, what ends up being four skills. So you'll have a lot of skills available to you. That's very good for somebody who's got to go into these deep, dark, dank places to acquire, you know, magic items. Mm -hmm. You get song of rest, eh, but you do get counter charm. Uh, which is very useful when you're dealing with all of those ancient curses or people trying to convince you to hand over the uh, item that you just retrieved. Yeah, or like illusions or, um, you know, different different uh, traps that might be in a dungeon, things like that. And then, of course, what we're really here for at level 6 and at level 10, you'll get magical secrets. So for leveling order, start out bard 3 uh cleric to nine to get those spells and then finish out bard so shane who is your treasure hunter uh my treasure hunter is actually employed by the church um perhaps something like the church of the silver flame um or, or maybe even one of the like more esoteric churches um where there are lots of artifacts scattered around that the church sure would like to recover um and my treasure hunter is the is the the guy who tracks them down right like his job is to um find these items that might be lost through various or might might only exist now in like records from ancient times um figure out where they are assemble an expedition and go recover them because they belong not in a museum but in a church where they can be properly worshipped ah uh, yes venerated so many femurs exactly mm-hmm uh, actually, and this character would properly auth- be able to authenticate them as well. Indeed. Uh, how about your treasure hunter? So I have talked before about how I like the idea of a character who is a temple raider of Oludamara, um, which is like a, the god of thieves, right? You, like you go into the temples and you steal the things and bring them back uh, for o- Oludamara. Mm-hmm. Um, my treasure hunter is the ra- the foil to the raiders. So she is uh, religious as well, uh, but rather than retrieving these antiquities to bring back to the church or for the use of her own church, she is making sure that um, the the servants of Oladamara are either not finding them, or if they are found, she is stealing them back from them, and then 
hiding them somewhere else where they won't be found in the future. Oh, interesting. Yeah, these are either items that should remain hidden and no one should use them, or uh, part of her ethos is that, you know, these belong to the societies that created them or to the gods that they um, were made to worship in the first place, and they're hidden for a reason. Um, they are in these locations, maybe as tests for people to, to find them, uh, or, or maybe just uh, to be secreted away um, for, you know, use at a future date, maybe in some horrible cataclysm. So she's tracking them down. She's locating them all in the first place so that she can keep track of whether they're staying where they're supposed to be. Uh, and then, of course, you know, if need be, she uh, races that little uh, growing red line to get there first uh, or to stop whomever is actually stealing it. Maybe she's the one setting off the traps in the background. You know, release the boulder. I feel like you're going to need the one-on-one -on -one rules from D&D &D Essentials in order to make this work. Because I can't imagine any party allowing someone who insists the treasure <laughs> stay in the dungeon. <laughs> I like this idea. Look, put a snake in the airplane. Don't ask me why. Just do it. Okay. <laughs> this is going to work. But it would right. be, it would it's a fun NPC actually to show up and be like, "Hey, I have this treasure and I need you to help me hide it again." Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a good NPC for sure. All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill. And hey, if you haven't looked in a while, take a look. I think there might be some new rewards up. Mm -hmm. Also, we currently have 69 patrons, so nice. So ru ruin that for us, I guess? Uh, yeah, that's, it was nice while we got it. We got the screenshot. Feel free to pledge. Whew. All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? Well, like we said earlier, we're actually going to do a special review roundup. We'll be taking a closer look at Ghosts of Saltmarsh, the Acquisitions Inc. book, the Essentials Kit, and... Beetle and Grimm's Sinister Silver edition of the Ghosts of Saltmarsh adventure. Well, that's it for episode 205 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by D&D &D Beyond. It is the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons & Dragons. Yep, we use D&D Beyond to build our characters, track our campaigns, run adventures, and look up all of the various rules that we need quickly. Oh, constantly, yeah. Hey, I don't have any books with me right now because we happen to be gaming at this random location because we didn't mm -hmm. decide, decide ahead of time. That's or, okay. Oh, I forgot my character sheet. Oh, God, or, yes. I was cleaning out my bag. <laughs> or I forgot to add my hit points three levels ago. Right. Uh, hey, I haven't been to a game in a month because, oh god, work has been terrible. You guys leveled up twice? Uh, hold on one second. I think this will be fine. Yep. Cool thing about that is that you only really need one subscription. We are able to share our subscription to the rest of our group, so everybody gets full access to all of the books and adventures and um, like classes and races and, uh, and items that are available through us. Right, so they can build those characters. Um, it allows us to track campaigns and run the adventures. Um, you can look up, look up rules. Uh, there's plenty of free content as well. The D&D basic rules are on there. You've got articles from writers like James J. Heck and videos from people like Todd Kenrick. And then the site is always updating. They're building out more robust capabilities around actually managing adventures and encounters right now. Um, so there are just constant improvements 
on their way um, and continuing and ongoing. Yeah, I like when uh, new stuff shows up in a new book. Uh, it's there. It's right mm-hmm. there. You're like, uh, I don't know. There's a new book, and I kind of want to try th- try some of that info out, but has it been added? Yeah, yep, it's been added. It's there. So you can check it out at www.dndbeyond.com. <laughs>